We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Knicks Film School pregame show. My name is Andrew Claudio, a.k.a. GMAC. It's time to preview the Knicks' upcoming matchup on Friday against the Orlando Magic, a young, upstart, up-and-coming team that is 18-12 this season, got off to a 14-5 start, and then has stumbled a bit of lately, and we'll see exactly what has happened with my guest. It's Kevin Tucker of the Sixth Man Show. I really think you're going to enjoy hearing his perspective, uh, and the reason why I think this will be an interesting podcast, looking through their numbers this year, so they're in the bottom 10 in offense, in the top 10 in defense, and... They struggle to score the ball, but they have a lot of lot of guys that fight hard and and that really make you make you work on defense. Uh, they remind me a lot of the We Here team, and I bring that up a lot throughout this podcast. That this very much seems like a team that will win a lot of low scoring games. Uh, I think the Knicks' offense actually should be able to take care of things in this game. I'm actually somewhat confident going into both of these games against the Magic and the Pacers, but let's hear just how confident I should be. This is a long episode, so I'm just going to get right to it. Here is my conversation with Kevin Tucker of the Sixth Man Show, which I should mention is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Enjoy! Kevin, welcome to the Next Film School Podcast. Andrew, thanks for for having me. This will be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's been a, an interesting start to the Magic season. A little bit of a surprise and looking forward to talking with you about that and about this, uh, this next matchup on Friday. So I want to start with the positive because I know the recent seven-game stretch hasn't been the greatest and we'll obviously talk about what's happened during that stretch. But between the win streak that... that shot them up to the top two or three seed in the in the east for a while and the revelation that the defense was and and like the Jalen Suggs of it all like the magic got off to a start that a lot of people outside of Orlando were enjoying and I'm sure inside Orlando was was even more exciting can you just give us a a bit of a a, a behind the scenes I guess the first person perspective uh, view of how the vibes are or were in Orlando during that stretch 
Yeah, it, it was certainly a, a surprise, even for those of us who've been around this team for a long time. You know, last season, the Magic had a, a bit of a mixed bag as far as, you know, how the season went and how that projected going to this season. The Magic started really slow, five and 20 last season. However, we were just decimated with injuries throughout those first 25 games. I mean, literally, there was a nine, nine game stretch, Andrew, where we didn't have a point guard. First, mm. second, third string, even our G League, like our two way point guard was injured. We were throwing all kinds of guys, you know, leading the offense. Anyway, it was a mess. However, after those first 25 games, this team was over 500 last season. So Magic fans coming into this season had pretty decent expectations for this team. Not great. Like we, if you're asking me, I expected 42 wins. That was my projection on the season. So right around that 500 mark, right around that play in area. So for this team to get off to a what ended up being a 14 and five start, 16 and seven, whatever you want to choose. Certainly surprised all of us, and it was a lot of fun. But you're right, they did it with defense, and the defense has still been good, even though the last, you know, 10 games or so has not been good for this team as far as record goes. The defense is still kind of the the strong point of this team. Offensively, it's always going to be a struggle. This is not a team that shoots the ball well, and I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit later. But as far as, you know, the, the good for this season, it's been Paolo, who's been great. Franz Wagner has been mostly good, though inconsistent. And the big thing for this team, uh, when they're winning, it's their bench. Actually, the second unit for the Magic has been terrific. Again, through the first 20 games or so, they were really good. The last 10 games has been a bit of a mess. But uh, yeah, the bench unit has been a big part of this team's success. And so, yeah, those guys, Paolo, Franz, the bench, the defense, that's kind of been what has led to this surprising, you know, 18 and 12 start. So let's. I mean, you you mentioned the 18 and 12 at all compared to the 14 and 9. I actually took it to the 16 and 7 mark yeah. of the season because it was still technically nine games over. Two and five in their last seven. Um, I sorted the NBA advanced metric stat uh, stats by since that uh, the, the last seven games. So overall, Orlando is, uh, for, for those paying attention at home, they're 11th in that rating, still fifth in defense, but they're 21st in offense, which speaks to what you're talking about, that their they're calling card is still defense. They're not really going to try and outscore you. They're going to try and make sure you score less than them, which Knicks fans will remember from the first year of the Tibbs era. That was how the Knicks won games. It was a top five defense and a, a bottom 10 offense. And it seems as if the Magic are, are following that formula over this stretch of seven games. Now, granted, it's two games against the Celtics, one game against Milwaukee. So there have been better teams that they've played up against. But during this stretch, it's now the 26th ranked offense and the uh, I believe it's the 14th ranked defense, which is a, net, a negative seven net rating, which obviously leads to the record that they have. Is there any fear in Orlando that like because they can't really depend on the offense to really be that productive? It 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 really is like going to fall all on the defense and how sustainable that is that like if the defenses have any hint of an off night, we're kind of screwed. 100%. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. Like the, this team lives and dies. You know, the whole phrase live, live and die by the three. This team has mm. no three. So ignore that. This team lives and dies by the defense. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, you're exactly right. And it, it it's so interesting because this team just lacks shots from distance. Like we cannot. I mean, I think we're like 29th or something like that in the league, you know, shooting from distance, which in this era of NBA basketball is not great. You know, that's that's a recipe for a disaster. Real quick, so, real quick, real quick. Yeah. 28th, technically. 28th, there it is. A few teams behind them are Memphis, which is going to be better now that right. maybe 
better now that Jaws back. And probably Detroit, right? And Detroit. Yeah, so how do I know? At the bottom of the league and everything. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, just not not a good company to be around down there, which again speaks to how well they're playing in basically every other aspect of the game. The fact that there's six teams over 500 and yet are in those kind of that kind of category when it comes to, you know, the long ball. So yeah, th- this team and, you know, we, we have nights like this where we try to some odd reason we try to pretend we are a three point shooting team. And we try to keep up with the Jones is essentially the team we're playing against that night where they're launching, you know, all these threes and they're making them and we try to keep up with them. And that that always kind of hurts the magic. But yeah, yeah, the defense, you know, like I said, for the most part has been really good. Um, but yeah, this stretch has been tough. The, the good thing about the magic and you know, magic fans kind of have a silver lining about this is we currently have, I believe, like the 29th easiest remaining schedule, 28, 29th. Easiest. It's, it's been a tough stretch for the magic um, so far. And so, like you mentioned, playing Boston twice, actually three times would be in the first time, but playing Boston twice recently during the stretch. Uh, Milwaukee next week is a really tough week for us. We go out West, but then after that, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But I think all, all in all, Andrew, like to sum it up, I think, you know, obviously we had the hot start. We're coming back down to earth and somewhere in the middle is probably about where the magic, you know, probably should fall for the rest of the season. So not a whole lot of panic in Orlando. This was expected. You know, we knew this wasn't, you know, a 14 to five, 16 and seven type team. So we're just kind of coming back down to maybe, maybe a little bit back down to earth, I guess I could say. Well, first of all, as the as a fan and I guess a, a, a content creator, it would be official title of a team or for a team that has also had a tough schedule. I empathize with uh, the Magic and the schedule they've had. The Knicks, through 30 games this year, have played 12 at Madison Square Garden. So I recognize the, the road trips and yeah. how difficult this year has been. Uh, you mentioned playing Boston and Milwaukee. Uh, the Knicks, I don't know if you're aware of this, but they made the play-in tournament. Excuse me, the in-season tournament. That's right. Mm-hmm. And their reward for making the seventh season tournament, <laughs> Milwaukee, right? Milwaukee, yeah. and then you know what their their other reward was for playing the consolation game because they lost to Milwaukee. Uh, was that Boston? They played Boston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was two road games <laughs> at Milwaukee and at Boston. So the Knicks oh, will be the man. only team this year outside of the playoffs that will play Milwaukee and Boston. Wow, five times each. Wow, that's yes. crazy. So I, I empathize with the frustrations over a tough schedule to start the year. This may become a drinking game too, but I'm going to, I've said this to a lot of our, our guests that it's the Nick. Every team has told me that they've had a tough schedule, except the Sixers who yeah. just seem to always play the, <laughs> the Pistons or the Wizards or the Hawks or the Spurs every single night. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's been a tough stretch for everybody except our, city of brotherly love yeah and if i could just add one more thing about like the scheduling quirks i don't know if it's because of the end season tournament obviously your, your situation certainly was but the schedule this year has been so strange you know last night we the magic on wednesday we played the sixers and so coming you know before coming on to the show i was like let me see how the knicks have done against the sixers this season and i re- like you guys haven't even played their own nope. division rival here we nope. are you know 2024 is next week and then another weird thing like the magic our first eight games this season were against western conference teams eight mm. games like there's just so many strange things with I feel like this season especially with the schedule but I digress it's been strange but yeah that's that's crazy five times against the Celtics and Bucks I I do not uh envy you about that <laughs> I, I don't like being envied for it either it's not something we want to be like I, I don't wish this on anybody yeah having said that um you know you get to a certain point in the schedule and you yeah, I guess you accept the cards you're dealing with a lot of Knicks fans while they have the 10th hardest schedule remaining 
uh, there's at least a lot of home games. I mean, again, only 12 games in MSG so yeah. far this year that they've played. So we'll we'll see if they can can start to dominate at home uh, like they have so far this year. Um, you mentioned the. Uh, the, the three point shooting and how they don't live and die by the three. I, I do want to point out while they're 28th in percentage, they're 29th in field goal three point attempts per game. So they're not even taking a ton of threes. The volume's right. not there. And then they are 13th in field goal percentage. So I think it, it the reason why they're, they're probably where they are in offense is just like the shot diet, which might fit their personnel a little bit differently than other teams, which before we get into some specific individual players, um, I guess because of what the the constitution of the team is and what the the identity it seems being on the defensive end, like you spoke about your expectations of forty two wins. As far as the Thunder, excuse me, not the Thunder. We're a Magic podcast. As far as the Magic fan base is concerned, what does a disappointing season look like? What does like we we failed this year? look like for a magic team that first I'm concerned has like exceeded all expectations. Yeah, certainly has exceeded. I, I think it's, you know, going forward for the rest of the season, what would be considered a failure? It, it, honestly, it's a pretty wide spectrum. Like it would take a lot to be considered a failure at this point. I mean, ultimately a failure would be a complete and utter collapse to where you miss out on any postseason basketball at all. Like that would be the ultimate failure. Like I said, going into this season, we just wanted our young team to just get a taste of the postseason, even if that's the play in like for me, I was totally content. I don't know if content's the right word, but if that's what ended up happening, the magic go into the play in game, they get a one off chance to play a Indiana or a, you know, Atlanta or whoever it was, you know, preseason, I, I would be okay with that. And I I'm still there. Honestly, Andrew, like I, I still don't think this is an 18 and 12 team. Like I think we have overperformed. Um, uh, do I think some of that stuff is sustainable over the course of the season? Sure. But I definitely think we're still going to regress. You know, I, like I mentioned next week, you know, we have a tough road trip coming up next week. I can't imagine we win, you know, that road trip. I think we, you know, probably go one and three on that trip or whatever it is. And so this record's going to get worse. So what, what a failure would be, would be that like a complete and utter collapse to where you miss the play in. If this team falls all the way down to a play in spot, to me, that's still a success based on preseason, you know, expectations. That doesn't really change for me. Some people would say, a lot of Magic fans would say, well, you know, we've done this through 30 games. We should be this good for the rest of the season. We should be not even in the play in consideration. We should be a playoff team. Some Magic fans will say that. And I understand that. But for me personally, I, if we can just get in the play in, and again, our young guys, none of these guys have played any kind of meaningful late season basketball. It's never happened for them. And so I personally just want this team to get a taste of it, whether it's one playing game, two playing games, a playoff series that that would certainly be good enough for me. And I, I think they can do that. I'm a big subscriber to playoff experience mattering. And yeah. you kind of have to go through the wars with with certain cores you know like you, your core needs to experience what playoff basketball is like first and right. what playoff failure is like first i don't think there's a example in nba history outside of like magic in 1980 and that was like a very specific lakers team that yeah. had kareem abdul jabbar that won the mvp yeah. that year on it but you other than that there's there, there's really no uh example of a team that isn't battle tested actually winning uh, the title, or at least experiencing a deep playoff run first before you actually uh, climb over the hurdle. So I, I can understand wanting to to get 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 your feet wet first yeah. before you you uh, have any higher heights uh, exactly. for this team. Uh, specifically to the Magic fan base, do they have? Is there a move that potentially wants to be made? Is there a player that they've that they've circled as like you know what? If we just add this guy to the court, then we can really like. 
potentially raise the ceiling even higher. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Coming into this season, a, a lot of Magic fans are big Markel Fultz fans, which I know is strange. Like to the outside NBA world, Markel Fultz is just synonymous with injuries, and rightfully mm-hmm. so. Uh, he's synonymous with being a disappointment, borderline bust. You know, I, I mean, you could say he's a bust right now. He's the number one overall pick. You know, he hasn't played enough games to even you know try to climb out of that that label. However, this season has broken the hearts and the wills of a lot of Magic fans when it comes to Markel Fultz. He's missed, I believe, 22 straight games now mm. with a totally unrelated injury to his you know, past injuries with knee tendonitis right now. And so while Markel, we still believe, is a, is a very talented player and we believe he is a fantastic facilitator, a great piece to have around Apollo and Afrons and all those kinds of things, he's just not been available, you know? And so at some point, we most magic fans want this front office to take a look at that that lead point guard spot and probably reevaluate it you know markel's coming up you know on a potential you know contract and everything like that and so if there was a deal to be done it would be that like i don't think we're going to move on from jalen suggs at the two guard while statistically he doesn't you know jump off the the stat sheet at you he is he is the heart and soul of what we've already talked about is the strength of this team that defense he is an incredible defender especially for a third year player like i i think he's going to be make several all defensive teams here in the next four or five years he's not going anywhere Powell and franz not going anywhere the center position is a bit of a mixed bag it's kind of been by committee this season again because of injuries but that that lead guard spot it's it's the biggest question mark we did draft anthony black who has started in markel fultz's absence over those you know 22 games and has been okay the thing with anthony black is he offers little to no offensive game most nights although on Tuesday, he did have his career high of 23 and shot shot the ball really well for the first time. <laughs> it was kind of a surprise. Uh, but once again, just doesn't provide any kind of legit offense. A strong player. He's young. But if if I were to you know pinpoint a spot for that that question, Andrew, it would be that that point guard position. Do I have a specific player in mind? Not necessarily. Uh, but I mean, it's crazy to think we're you know six weeks from the trade deadline, something like that. And so there's definitely a possibility that a move could be made. And if it is, I think it would be for a point guard. What's up, Knicks fans? Quick break to tell you about our new sponsor, Prize Picks. Not only are they the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America, but they're also the easiest and most exciting way to play. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, it's just you against the numbers, picking more than or less than on a two to six player stat projection. With basketball season fully underway, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League. This is a league created specifically specifically for combo projections that include two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, take Jalen Brunson over in points or Julius Randle over in rebounds and combine it with two NFL picks like Lamar Jackson over in rushing yards or Zach Wilson over in interceptions. Prize Picks is a really simple way to play. Prize Picks offers weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts. Like on Taco Tuesday each Tuesday, Prize Picks discounts select player projections up to 25% to provide even more value. PrizePix now offers Apple Pay for quick and easy deposits into your account all basketball season. You know what to do. Go to prizepix.com slash KFS and use code KFS for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, that's prizepix.com slash KFS and use code KFS for a first deposit match up to $100. PrizePix, it's daily fantasy sports made easy. So I thought you'd say the point guard position and I ask specifically because the Knicks have a point guard in Jalen Brunson yeah. and uh, a backup point guard that the entire fan base should think should be playing more minutes than the current 
amount of minutes he's been getting in Emmanuel Quickly. Right. And a lot of people that have been very pro Emmanuel Quickly, myself included, have worried that in restricted free agency this upcoming offseason, Orlando could be a team that targets quickly. Yeah. And is like, you know what? We think there's more meat on the bone than just Jalen Brunson's backup or 22 minutes a game. Uh, we think Emmanuel quickly would be perfect in Orlando. Is that is there any chatter from what you've seen? Has, has his name come up at all amongst you you guys in the six man show world or amongst the fan base? Yeah, he has certainly been one of the names that has okay. come up. You know, in Orlando, um, another guy more more likely a more um, possible like in season trade move for would be like from Washington. Um, Oh, I'm, I'm having an absolute brain fart. The point guard from Washington. Uh, the Jones brother. Yes, yeah. Tyus Jones. Thank you, Tyus yeah. Jones. He was he was uh, one of the names more recently. Obviously, Washington's a disaster. But as far as offseason, you're exactly right. Quickly has definitely been on the lips of of Magic fans. And even on the six-man show, we've mentioned him as well. The, the thing, again, for the Magic is we just have no offense at point guard right now. And Quickly would obviously remedy that very quickly, for lack of you know a little pun there. Um but yeah, so I think he's definitely uh, a guy that the Magic could target. Uh, again, I don't necessarily believe that would be something that would happen in season as far as a trade, although maybe you would disagree as far as the Knicks, you know, maybe potentially trading him. Would depend on what the Knicks are getting back. Right. I, I got to be totally honest with you. You you saying that Jalen Suggs is the anchor of the Magic defense and how yeah. much he matters to the team. Yes. I think the, the player that Knicks fans would be targeting <laughs> would be a Jalen Suggs, which I, yeah. sounds like is a non-starter. Yeah, he's pretty close to it, especially this season. You know, his progression offensively has been very interesting. Like, again, he's not going to jump off the stat sheet for you, but his rookie season, I believe he shot 21% from three. Last season, he shot like 31% from three. And this season, he's, I don't know what he was before, you know, after last night's game, but I think he was somewhere around 36, 37%. Uh, so again, like it's been a, a that's, that's a legitimate improvement over two seasons to jump 15, 16 percentage points. And so with him being able to be at least a league average three-point shooter it allows him to stay on the floor more than he was in past seasons and so defense has never been a question for him offense this season is starting to get there again he's going to be open Paolo Franz are going to draw you know the defense to them and Jalen so far this season has been as good as he's ever been as far as knocking down the three ball so yeah Jalen is I don't want to say he's untouchable but he's as untouchable as he's ever been I'll put it that way because yeah defensively the dude is just he's he's the engine like he does not quit every possession doesn't matter if we're up five in the last two minutes or if we're down 20 you know in the third quarter the dude just plays 100 percent all the time and he is he is definitely the heart and soul of this team you know as far as on the court goes yeah i want to give a shout out to one of our one of our our guys uh one of our staffers uh mensa uh, mensa smith who's just been on the the jalen suggs bandwagon <laughs> since before the season yeah. there was a thought before the magic got off to the start that they got off to that if you were going to trade uh, literally the, the the quickly for suggs thing it's like if you're not going to extend emmanuel quickly and prioritize a, a high impact guy like that a perfect tom thibodeau player would just be like jalen suggs i'd argue um I think the Knicks are at a place where they do need the offense, but like Josh Hart, I think could do a lot of what Jalen Suggs can do. Not as in, not as to, to the high ceiling of what uh, Jalen Suggs is on defense, but yeah. um, you know, as far as uh, being that spark plug on that end of the floor. Now, I, listen, there is a fear that Emmanuel quickly will not be a Nick because the magic throw him a bag. Mm. Um, do you foresee the magic making a bigger move than just like here, let's go get a the, the Knicks backup point guard, which is, is technically a backup point guard. I think that would be a great move for the Magic yeah. personally. Yeah. But do you think that that's how aggressive the Magic would be, or are they just kind of seeing what they have 
and I know I'm, I'm, this is more of an off-season question, but like, is, is that the trajectory of this team at it, the moment? That is, a, I mean, that is, that is the question that Magic fans have had all season. You know, coming into this season, this was very much a prove-it year for this mm-hmm. roster. We've sat with this roster for, obviously we added Paolo, added Franz in the draft, but as far as the other guys around them, we've sat with this roster for, you know, two, three seasons now, haven't made any significant moves. You know, the, mm. literally the only move we made this offseason was our two draft picks and signing Joe Ingles. You know, that's literally all we did. We've sat with the same team. And so we knew coming into the season that it was going to be a prove it year for many guys on this roster. As far as a big splash goes, the, the thing that at least myself and many Magic fans are, you know, have kind of put this thought in our brain, like this team is not going to win a title this year, obviously not next year, but we're looking ahead. Like the fact that Paolo is 21 and Franz is 22, we are looking five years ahead. Like we don't want to be a perennial playoff team. That's fun. That's great. We want to compete. Like we want to be, you know, a perennial contender. We know we're five years away from that. And so what does it look like to build this team towards five years from now? I think is more what's on the mindset of probably the front office as well. Like, you know, no disrespect to Indiana, but we don't want to be the Pacers. We don't want to make the playoffs year after year after year and just be happy to be there. And what's really cool about this front office is that's what they've said. Like they've said, we're not just in this, to, you know, we don't want to, you know, just have a, you know, a, a competition trophy like you made it. We want to win the whole dang thing. And so we know we're five years away from that. And so I think this front office is going to start looking what pieces do we need to add, not necessarily to make us good this year, which, I, you know, I think there will be some pieces in the offseason that make us better. But it's still that long term, you know, when Powell and Franz are in their prime five years from now, what should the team around them look like? So I think that's kind of what what the front office will be looking at. Is that mean a big splash this summer? I don't know. Maybe we're going to have some money to throw around depending on what we do with our current guys. Um, but I, I, again, I think the quickly thing is is totally legitimate uh, thinking there from from Knicks fans. And again, it's been it's been a name that the Magic fans have mentioned as well. I personally hope. You don't add Emmanuel quickly <laughs> to the court because it means he's not with the Knicks anymore. Although uh-huh. uh, we'll see what the Knicks obviously do in the future. Um, so I have some specific roster questions and they are Paolo and Franz related yeah. and going through some of the the numbers uh, on, on them this season. And look, I, that's why I want to talk to somebody that's actually watched every minute that the Magic have played because the, the Paolo on off for this year, they're about even in his yeah. minutes. It's it's a, a little a, they've they've out been outscored a little bit in the two thousand possessions he's played. It's like negative like point seven, which is like they're about even. Like right. when when he's on the court, when he's off, it's like plus eleven, and it doesn't he doesn't have the shot profile or even just the profile in general of someone where this should be that drastic. Now you hinted at it that. Their bench has just been outscoring guys. And if you look at all of the, for, for the Knicks fan that doesn't know, all of the their highest on-off guys are like Joe Ingles and uh, 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 Gary Harris yep. and Jonathan Isaac. Might be on and there, yeah. it, it's, it's very much their bench guys. Now, the one thing that... So, so I'm, I'm not completely discrediting the lineup data that I'm pointing to, but I'm recognizing that it, it, this very much feels like that first Knicks season where like the starting lineup was like, just break even and then we'll win the games with our bench. Mm. The thing that I guess would concern me just from an outside looking in is the efficiency. Now I see that he's shooting 69% from the line this year, still getting there seven times a game. Is, is that the, if you're going to complain about anything with Paolo as a magic fan, is that the biggest worry that he's just not that efficient a player at the moment? hundred percent. That's exactly. It. And that was his issue last season during his rookie season. And you expect that from a rookie, you know, especially a rookie who's 
instantly become the focal point of an offense, you know, uh, coming into his first season in the league. Uh, and so we, we were hoping to see a little bit of an improvement in that department, you know, for him this season. And in some ways I'd say we have, you know, he was very inefficient last season, but especially over this last 10 game stretch, 11 game stretch, uh, the inefficiencies kind of piled up. It's, it's kind of crazy because in that stretch, he's also had some of his best games. Like he dropped 42, uh, against Cleveland a couple weeks ago during this, you know, 11 game down stretch, uh, career high, but we lost that game, you know? So it, it's been one of those things, you know, kind of talking about this whole team and the makeup of this team. One of the most frustrating parts for magic fans this season, not just during the win streak or this, you know, downstretch the whole season has been, it's, it's, it's been crazy. Andrew Powell and Franz are incapable of having a good night at the same night. It's just like one of those things like Paolo will have a, a great night. He'll, he'll shoot, you know, 75% from the field. He'll make, you know, eight of nine from the line and Franz is three of, 12, you know, like it's just, it's one of those things. And then and they'll switch roles the next night. It's just like, I can count on one hand over the 30 games, the nights where both of those guys have shot the ball. Well, have played well. And of course we win those games. Like when those two guys are on together, we win, but it's just for whatever reason, they just can't, they can't click on the same night, you know, unfortunately. But uh, so that's been a frustration. Uh, yeah. The thing with Paolo again, going back to him, is just, we always have to remind ourselves he just turned 21. You know, a month mm. ago, this is, he's, you know, a 30 games into his second season. There's a lot of growing pains there. We're still obviously beyond excited about him. Like he has the physical traits that are needed. He has the IQ that's needed. Um, and so it's not necessarily a worry. We know it's growing pains. And again, just like I said, we're in this for the long game, you know, making the playoffs is zero would be fun. Making the play in would be fun, but we're in it for the long game. And we think we really think Paolo can, can bring us there. So, you know, what's interesting from a Knicks perspective we have a guy named RJ Barrett who mm-hmm. has not been the most efficient player in his career. Um, doesn't live at the line the way that Paolo does, but the like the one thing RJ can do from an elite perspective is get to the rim. He just like is able to get inside the paint to get shots at the rim. Has not been the most efficient in those shots at the rim throughout his career, but like if you go to effective field goal percentage as a metric, like we just like we're begging for the first year that RJ shoots above 50% effective field goal percentage. And mm-hmm. Paolo, like just barely after the most recent stretch you're talking about, cracked underneath that. Um, you mentioned the the fronds of it all and how they don't seem to have a good game together. I've never done it before and actually tracked how Julius and RJ do. Like, have they have they ever had a couple of good games together? How many mm-hmm. times they've both had like good, efficient games? But uh, that seems to be the belief that the Knicks, Knicks fans, and my, maybe myself included, but have that like Julius and, and RJ don't exactly mesh well together. Uh, I, the three point percentage is obviously the thing I'm going to point out with, with Franz Wagner. Normally around a 35, 36% yeah. three point shooter. The volume's up. He's taking his most amount of threes for his career, and he's shooting 27% from three. Now, you tell me, is it as drastic a drop off? Is there like, was there a rough stretch that he went through? And otherwise, do you take out the rough stretch? The number's actually not that bad. Or has that been like as drastic a concern seeing him like kind of fall off a cliff from a three point perspective? It has been, we're almost in concern territory, like 30 okay. games in now. Like it, it's, it's not, there wasn't a certain stretch. Like last year, Paolo shot like 2.5% from three in February. Like it was awful. Like Paolo okay. was terrible in February that bombed his whole, you know, field goal percentage, three point percentage of the season. That has not been the case with Franz. Like it has been consistently 
bad for 30 games, which again is so surprising because one of his like calling cards, one of the things that made him so great over this first two seasons in the league was his efficiency, both at the rim from distance. Not that he's a, you know, a knockdown three point shooter necessarily, but for the role that he plays as a six ten forward who gets to the rim and can also step outside for three, they were efficient numbers. But across the board, not just, you know, three point shooting, even at the rim, like he was known as a very good finisher at the rim, right hand, left hand. And for whatever reason this season, he has not been able to take another step. And so Mm. it's a little bit of an odd one because, you know, you'd like to see that third year progression, especially the summer he played for Germany, you know, in the uh, in the World Cup, won the whole dang thing with him and his brother Mo Wagner, which was a lot of fun for Magic fans. And he played so well. And so part of it was when he came in after the offseason was he just gassed from, you know, spending, you know, six weeks with that team and he'd slowly ramp into it. But here we are, like we said, 30 games in the season and we're just not seeing that that normal efficiency from Franz. And so, uh, again, we're right on the line of concern, you know, for, for me as we, you know, I mean, it's crazy. We're 11 games away from the, the halfway point of the season. So I still think he'll be able to turn it on at some point. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely been a concern. It has really, really hurt this team, like genuinely, especially when you talk about the volume, like there have been nights where he, you know, hasn't had it, which is frequently, unfortunately. And most of the time you're like, shooters got to shoot. He's got to shoot his way out of it. It just hasn't happened. He's still shooting, not knocking him down. It's hurting the team. Um, I still I'm, I'm a big Franz believer, so I'm not worried yet, but it's definitely been an issue, an issue for this team so far. Yeah, I don't know if I, if I specifically said the number, but he's shooting 27% from three this yeah, year on, on a high volume. 4.8 attempts, yeah. which is his highest of his career. It's one right. of the highest on the Magic, too, which yeah. for a team that doesn't take a ton of threes, for your one of your highest to be that inefficient from three can, like you said, be a problem or at least concerning, which yeah. we may be, be reaching that point. What isn't a concern, if you want to talk specifically about this matchup, is the bench unit that, that you're talking about. So if you want to Give Knicks fans a bit of an idea of a script for how this game might go. It's I'm t- I'm telling you, there's going to be Knicks fans listening to this being like, oh yeah, that's the that's the 2021 season. <laughs> like we we remember how that that year went. So if you want to, is it literally just going to be like survive, play even with the starters, and then the bench will come in and blitz you? Well, here's the issue though right now, and part of the reason why we've struggled over the last week is our bench is not healthy. That's going to be the issue uh, on okay. Friday. Wow. So Jonathan Isaac has missed, I believe, the last three or four games. Joe Ingles has missed the last six or seven games. Uh, Gary Harris missed last night's game, Wednesday's game um, against uh, Philly. All three of those guys, very key components of this bench unit. So I actually don't know who's going to be available on Friday. You know, We're expecting Joe Ingles to be back any game now. He, he sprained his ankle. I think, like I said, I think it was six games ago. I expect him to be back any any day, so he may play Friday. Which, by the way, Joe Ingles has been a little bit of a surprise for Magic fans. Really quick, I'll just talk about this. No, go ahead. I'm staring at the on off. He's their best on off. It's crazy behind uh, Gogo Batate, but he's been a revelation. It looks like it's it's crazy because. Because, you know, as I mentioned, this team has struggled three-point shooting for the last several years. And so we sign a guy like Joe Ingles, and we expect he'll just come in off the bench and and help bring our, our three-point percentage up. We'll maybe hang out in the corner and Paolo kick out to him or whatever. And instead, he has fulfilled a, a similar role that he had in Utah, where he becomes like a primary ball handler when he's on the floor. And his his pick and rolls with him and Mo Wagner, usually is the, the big who's on the floor with him, are elite. They're crazy. Like, it's it's unbelievable. Like, this dude is so slow. He walks around like he's... It's funny, the young guys on this team, I'll call him like a substitute teacher. I'm like, that's what Joe Ingles looks like. <laughs> so they all clown him about that. And he's out there just, you know, cutting up defenses with, you know, this pick and roll and, and all this kind of stuff. And so he's been a revelation that I, I certainly didn't expect, which has been really fun. 
Um, but again, I, I don't know if he'll be available on Friday against the Knicks. Uh, we talked about Gary Harris. Gary Harris has been actually probably the most disappointing member of that bench so far this season, which again mm-hmm. is very surprising. A career around 40% three-point shooter this season has really struggled from deep, um, which again is is a testament to maybe how this bench could actually be better down the stretch if he if he can figure it out. But as far as the rest of the bench unit, Mo Wagner tends to be one of the, the sparks there on the bench as the typical backup center. Uh, just a pure offensive center. Like he's not going to give you a lot on defense, but he can step back and hit the three. He can get to the rim and, you know, finish all kinds of different ways. Mm-hmm. But as far, as far as, like you said, a script, it's, it's pretty much like that, especially against the good teams, which the Knicks, I definitely would consider that the, the starters will try to keep it afloat. And again, it depends on who's playing well, if it's Franz or Paolo, whoever's going to lead the charge with that. And then the second unit, depending on who's healthy has been outscoring uh, opponent, opponent benches pretty consistently this season. Cole Anthony, I, I almost forgot to mention him, of course. Cole Anthony, another true spark plug off the bench, the, the sixth man for the Orlando Magic. Uh, but again, over this 10, 11 game stretch has been wildly inconsistent, whereas the first 20 games, he was uh, an early candidate for sixth man of the year. I don't, I don't want to say he was a leader or anything like that, but he was at least in conversation. So again, typically that would be the script, but I really don't know who's going to be available Friday. Joe Ingles might be back. Gary Harris, I would expect to be back. Jonathan Isaac, another guy I didn't mention. Another defensive anchor has been out, like I said, four to five games now with all kinds of just another guy that's just so injury prone, the most random injuries. And they, they, they wrap him in bubble wrap, dude. Like anytime it's just the tiniest little knock, he's out two or three games and we all roll our eyes. So again, it depends on who's available Friday. We'll see. But if everyone's healthy, that would exactly be the script like you mentioned. So the four-man unit, the four-man lineup, if I could just point to them, of Joe Engels, Jonathan Isaac, Cole Anthony, and Mo Wagner in 260 possessions this year has a plus 14 yeah. on-off points differential. It's the 97th percentile. They're in the 74th percentile in points per possession at 119.2. So they're in the top 25% of the league offensively. Now let's go to defense. They're in the 98th percentile, top yeah. 2% of the league in defense, 105.2 points per 100 possessions they're allowing. That That's elite. That's Crazy. a thing that you could build a a, a, four, a nine game over 500 record with if your bench is doing that. That four-man unit featuring guys that don't, don't... I don't believe any of these guys have a start this year that I just mentioned. The Joe Ingles doesn't have a start. No. Uh, Mo Wagner doesn't have a start. Cole Anthony doesn't have a start. Yeah, all four yeah. of these guys have not started a game. Jonathan Isaac doesn't have a start. Right. Um. So, all right, Knicks fans, you've heard it here first. The <laughs> Jonathan Isaac is currently day to day. Gary Harris is day to day to day, and uh, Joe Ingles is is currently listed as out. I guess we'll see what happens uh, for the Knicks game on Friday. Um. But that uh, look, the Knicks are coming off a pretty frustrating loss to OKC. I. I the day after I'm trying to put into context that that OKC team is really good, really good. And losing to them shouldn't be as disappointing as it is. It's more the process of like what they I don't know if you saw what happened, but like Emmanuel quickly was just like flat out their best player Mm. in in the game last night. They're, They're overall both ends of the floor just doing great things. And he got taken out with four minutes left to play RJ Barrett, who I'd argue was their worst player Yikes. on the floor last night, <laughs> which I mean, there's a bit of an RJ Barrett conversation going on in New York at the moment, which now I want to hand the floor over to you. Two things before I let you get out of here. Um, I like to give my guests a chance to, to ask a question about the Knicks, give their thoughts on the Knicks. So you're please, Kevin, your, your questions or thoughts about the Knicks so far this season. 
Yeah, if I were to, to pick one thing, I, I've, I've watched the Knicks from afar this season. Obviously, I've seen the couple games where Jalen Brunson has just been outstanding. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's a lot of fun. I've always been a Jalen Brunson fan, whether it was Dallas or New York. I think he's an incredible player. Um, it, I guess I'm kind of curious, like, what, what you think the ceiling is for this team this season? Like, with a guy like Jalen Brunson, um, obviously, you mentioned R.J. Barrett you know, maybe the ups and downs that he brings with this team. But uh, where do you think they, they fall? Obviously, the elite of the elite in the Eastern Conference, Boston. I think Milwaukee will be there as well. I know they're climbing right now. I don't know if Philadelphia will be elite in the playoffs. I guess we'll see. Um, do you think the Knicks could potentially make another run to the Eastern Conference Finals? They could get to the second round and knock off one of those teams. Like, do you think this team is built, you know, really for a playoff run like that? Or what, what do you think maybe the, the ceiling could be for this team? I think... My expectations going into this season, especially after a week before the season, like the literally the weekend before training camp, Milwaukee got Dame and the Celtics got Drew Holiday. And my expectations changed to like, you know, maybe we could be a sneaky conference finals team to, you know what, win a playoff round, make a second round that and make it competitive. Like, don't don't get swept by Boston. Don't get swept by Milwaukee. Yeah. Be competitive in the second round and like show the league like we are actually like a player away. And it doesn't have to be like a franchise altering player. Like you can you could shore up one position, like one player, and maybe you're closer. And I don't think that that's changed. I think they're they're right there with the magic for like around the four seed. And I think if you're hosting a playoff series and say it's like a Nick Magic first round, you you win that series, you advance to the second round. You're losing six or seven to Boston or Milwaukee. That's a respectable way this season could go. Because while I don't subscribe to the way the Knicks are talked about on the national shows, and it's like, is Jalen Brunson a one or a one A? No, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I do think like what they are doing is, you know, out kicking their coverage based off of their the the talent on the on their team, um, as far as the ceiling is concerned. There, there are little things like uh, there's a belief that if like quickly was playing more and I, I, I've honestly just been internally like wrestling with like, what if Emmanuel quickly did play 30 minutes a game? Would they be 20 and 10 at the moment? You know, like would they, would they actually be that much better or like what, what are the games I point to where him not playing more, you know, cost them. I, I do think there's like two, three games where he got 21 or 22 minutes and it was like, yeah, you probably should have played him over RJ Barrett. Um, you mentioned that the magic are in a, like not in a prove it year. And I think the Knicks are in like a last gasp. Like, let's see what this team is. And I would be shocked if like one significant roster change doesn't happen this off season. Now losing Mitchell Robinson hurts. Like Mitch Robinson one is out for the year, it seems. So the one elite thing that they really had outside of Jalen Brunson's shooting was his offensive rebounding. And that's just like disappeared from the equation. Um, but I I think they could survive offensively with Isaiah Hartenstein and whatever. Like the move I think they're gonna make is to trade for a backup center. And you know, I, I think my expectations remain the same. Get to a second round, win a win a couple, win a win at least five to six playoff games this upcoming year. And that I'll be content with what this season is. And, you know, they're, that at least to me will be the, the success that a season can be. Yeah. That, that, 
that feels about right with where, again, from the distance, I've kind of viewed this team. And um, I, I think that's kind of interesting when you talk about quickly and him not maybe playing as many minutes as you'd like, who, who potentially like who is taking those minutes from him? Is it, is it RJ Barrett really? That's kind of taking those so, minutes. <clears throat> we, we can talk about RJ. I hesitate because I just like, it's almost impossible. Like we've lost the plot with what this RJ Barrett thing has been where mm-hmm. He's been one of the more inefficient players in the NBA based on his usage to start his career. And so many excuses have been made for him. And um, I want to give a shout out to uh, the Strickland, uh, one of the the Knicks niche uh, uh, content sites that's out there. And and one of their guys in their postgame show last night talk, pointed out about RJ, like it's not the same as Julius or Jalen where like the getting to the rim and getting into the paint is a skill but they kick out more often than RJ does. And mm-hmm. while like both of them can have tunnel vision, both are both uh, Julius Randall and Brunson, they're at least elite in their making at the rim and their shots in the paint that you excuse it to an extent. Yes. There may be a guy open in the corner when they're, they're in the paint and they're surrounded by two guys, but they make enough tough shots that you're like, you, okay, you, you excuse it. RJ doesn't have that accuracy at the rim yet to excuse not hitting guys that are wide open on the wing and statistically based on his usage at the rim he's actually one of the lowest in the NBA Mm. for kickouts or passes out of shots when he gets to the rim wow so this is different he's just he got off to this seven game stretch and Kevin like this may have to be how we talk about his season like Julius Randle's numbers overall aren't like eye popping when you if you just went to like ESPN.com and looked up his his stats for the year. That's like all right, he's he's make he's scoring a little bit less. His efficiency is a little bit down. You know, he's having a you'd, you'd argue he's having a worse year than last year. He got off to the worst six game start to a season of anybody in the last twenty years. I'm not wow. like. That is statistic. He was shooting 12% from three through six games. 26, I think 19% even at one point from the field. He was that bad. Wow. Since then, he's having his best year as a pro. Like, it's just flat out. He's been that good. So if you eliminate those six games, he's been the best he's been as a Nick. RJ Barrett got off to the best seven-game start of his career this year. Then he went out with a couple of... uh, He had a migraine issue, and he, he got sick, and then he sat out a couple games... And since he's come back, it's his worst season as a pro. The only thing that's gotten better is his free throw shooting. And even that started to come down a little bit. So, like, if you just eliminate the beginning of those seasons, RJ's having his worst year of his career. Julius is having the best year of his career. Wow. And I wonder if we ever reach a tipping point with RJ where, like, that's the minutes you have to go to for quickly to get to where he needs to be. Um they have a lot of wings. Like Quentin Grimes played well last night, played 11 minutes. Dante DiVincenzo is shooting, has a 60, above 60 effective field goal percentage and like can only play 19 to 20 minutes last night. He's averaging 20. So like the RJ minutes going down would actually lead to better players. Right. Go minutes going up, which I think is the thing a lot of people are eventually clamoring for. The, the issue that I, I don't envy Tom Thibodeau having to figure out and this front office figure out is like, the moment you decide RJ Barrett's minutes go down is yeah. the moment his trade value just disappears. I would counter to them and to anybody making that argument that, man, I think playing him is actually drawing his, making his trade value go down because mm-hmm. people can see what he looks like when he's playing 30 minutes. Uh, so, like, this isn't going to happen Friday night, but I do wonder if, like, 
there is a future bench role for RJ Barrett where he's no, he's started every game of his career, it seems. And he may just be better off as like a sixth man at a certain point. And if Andrew Wiggins can go to the bench and they're like a guy helped the team win a title, I don't think RJ Barrett's above going to the bench. Uh, so that those are my thoughts on the matter at the moment. I'm literally just using data, RJ Hive. I'm not saying he's awful or he's he's ass, even though the data would actually suggest that. Right. It's not a lost cause. I personally just wonder if they're just better options than him at literally at all times. Right. So those, that's that's my thoughts on yeah, that's, that's my good. thoughts on it. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, um, I, I hope I <laughs> hope I gave you a good picture of where the things currently stand. Yeah, no, that, that's that's very helpful. Yeah, I know it's always been an interesting, you know, kind of situation up there with him, where I I always get the feeling he's beloved by Knicks fans and yet hasn't quite hit the the goal that all Knicks fans have had for him. But you're oh, still no. cheering him on. You know, you want him to get there, but it's it seems like maybe the the time is taking a little bit on him. He is the most polarizing player I've ever watched for this franchise. Wow, most polarizing player because the highs. Like the, the, when the highs exist, there's a process to it. Like that's right. what this first seven games was. It was so encouraging because the process was there. He wasn't just like hitting shots. He was making the right passes. He was mm. rebounding. He was defending. He was all of the above the star Jay Barrett that people pointed to. And I was like, you know what? If this is here to stay, I'm, I'm all for it. I can't wait to see a month from now if this is still here. Again, take out those first seven games just having the worst season of his career. Wow. That's right. Yeah. So. What's up, Knicks fans? Quick break to tell you about AG1. AG1 is a foundational nutrition supplement that supports your body's universal needs, such as gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. Since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to evaluate your baseline health. Fun fact, I recommended AG1 to all my friends, family, and Mrs. Claudio. We drink AG1 first thing in the morning, to make sure we have the energy needed to take on a busy day. There's no debate. AG1 is the supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash filmschool. That's drink. That's drinkag1.com slash filmschool. Cool. Check it out. We could transition to the last question I have for you. I, know I kept you longer than expected, but whoa, that fell. No, this is good. Um, but uh, the last question I got for you is uh, I've done this with everybody. I hinted at earlier the Mount Rushmore of Magic Rivals. Um, I like to circle the calendar when, when or there's certain dates on the calendar when it comes out. Obviously, the Miami Heat would absolutely be one for me. The uh, the Boston Celtics would be for a lot of people. The Pacers this year for Knicks fans, uh, between the the long history of the Knicks Pacers rivalry and obviously Obi Toppin getting traded to the Pacers. So I'm curious for a Magic fan, or you, you on behalf of Magic fans, or just you personally, who are the four teams that you circle when the calendar comes out at the beginning of the season? Yeah, so the first one is a little bit sad, but it is Miami. So Miami is certainly our biggest biggest rival. Obviously, in-state rival. It's always going to be that way. But, you know, Magic fans, 
are aware we are the little brother. Okay. Like we know, like we accept that for now. We, we think someday maybe we can pass them, but obviously they've got the rings. We don't mm-hmm. all those kinds of things. They have obviously the bigger market. Miami's a much bigger place, bigger fan base and all that kind of stuff. So, but certainly they are the top, like we want to beat Miami every time. Um, but again, it's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit sad because we know like we're the little bro. It just is what it is. Every once in a while we can, we can beat our little bro. Um, but it is still rival for us. And if you ask Heat fans, they'll probably roll their eyes. That's the part that hurts the worst, you know, because it's like, <laughs> Orlando, whatever. Um, but we still want to beat them. They're number one. Uh, number two ah, is kind of interesting. If I had to pick a number two this season, and this is not a long-term rivalry, this is just this season. It's actually the Boston Celtics, which is a little bit odd. Okay. Because here's what happened though. Last season, we got off to that bad start five and 20. What helped, one of the things that helped claw us out of this, we had a six game win streak last week, last year. And when we, we beat the, the Celtics twice in Boston over one weekend in December, and then we beat them again later in the season. And we beat them again to start the season this year. We went on a four Oh run against the Boston Celtics as a mediocre team. I mean, we just, we beat them up for four straight games. And it was a lot of fun for the magic and the Celtics did not like it. Like the Celtics players were talking about it. Eddie house, you know, on their broadcast, was talking about how they were losing to this trash team in Orlando. And that just kept fueling the magic players who heard Eddie house talk about them as trash and all those kinds of things. So it ended up going on this four Oh run to beat them. Then the Celtics brought us back down to earth a couple weeks ago and they, mm. they, uh, they kicked us around pretty good at home in at home in Boston. I mean, but for the last two seasons, that has been a surprising rivalry where both these teams have been wanting to beat each other. Then the Celtics fans didn't like that this tiny team from Orlando was beating them. Um, so that's been fun. If I were to add a couple others, Toronto is one, which is a little bit odd as well. Um, I, what I'm about to say is not a, an opinion of Nick's film school. It's an opinion of myself. Toronto fans are weird. I'll just go ahead and say it like <laughs> Raptors fans are really weird. Um, don't come at them for that. Come at me. Uh-huh. Like, th- there's this whole thing from the 2021 draft where they draft Scotty Barnes. We draft Jalen Suggs. There's this video um, that went semi-viral amongst the Raptors fans of myself and Jonathan Osborne of the six man show cheering. Uh, you know, we were so pumped when the Raptors took Scotty Barnes. Not because we didn't like Scotty Barnes. I'm a diehard Florida State fan. I love Scotty Barnes. Mm. He's a great player. He's been great. We just didn't need another wing. We were sure Scotty Barnes was going to fall to us. We'd have to add another wing to our, our roster. It was a mess. So when Jalen Suggs fell to us, we were we were thrilled. And so ever since then, Raptors fans still still go watch that video on YouTube. They still share it on TikTok and all kinds of crazy things that come at us saying, you know, oh, you know, you guys look like idiots and all that kind of stuff. And so it's become a, a weird thing. Like the Raptors fans have become obsessed with the Magic fans with the six man show in particular. So that's been strange. They're a bunch of weirdos, but that I put them at number three. Um, and then the fourth one, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know if I'd call this a rivalry, but when you talk about games that I circle on the calendar, it's actually Oklahoma City. Um, which we haven't played yet. We're really excited to play them here in a couple weeks. Um, the reason being is that's a team that we feel like while we're not there on their level yet, the, the makeup and the projection going forward is very similar. Like we feel like, like I talked about in five years in the finals, we think we could play Oklahoma city. Like that's, that's a team, you know, if we were to make it in five years, that's a team we know we'd come up against. And then you also add the fact that, you know, you had Chet and Jalen Suggs two Gonzaga guys, their BFFs and all that kind of stuff coming up against them will be fun. So um, that's, that's another team I think that I would circle. So those are my four for this season in particular. Um, yeah, Miami, Boston, Toronto, uh, and then OKC. Dif- different reasons for each of those, but those are kind of the teams that I circled when when the schedule came out. So there's there's two teams that I would have assumed from mm-hmm. my outsider perspective would mm-hmm. at least be, be I thought potentially would have made it. Um, yep. I know from talking with uh, 
uh, with with this expansion. So last year, mm-hmm. how much of an affection there still is for Vooch. So I was oh, wondering yeah. if Chicago was part of the conversation. Yeah. So Chicago was a part of a conversation before this year. The reason okay. being is we still owned some of their draft picks, and so we wanted to beat them every single stinking time. Got it. That that whole Vooch trade, you know, came to an end this past offseason. We used up our last Chicago draft pick, which we just absolutely fleeced them in that trade. Um, so yeah, uh, that was up until this season certainly one. But now the the draft, you know, the trade stuff is over. We still love Vucevic. I mean, he said on our show he wants to come back and finish, you know, his career in Orlando, which we'd love to see. But as far as a rivalry goes, it's not really there anymore, for, at least for Magic fans. You know, obviously we want to beat them, but the whole draft stock thing is, isn't a thing anymore. And then the last one, I wonder if there's some history to, to this rivalry, but the Lakers between... I don't mean to bring up bad memories, yeah. but losing in the finals to them yep. in in 09, yep. White going there, Shaq going there. Yeah. Uh, where do the Lakers stand with Magic fans these days? I, I, I don't know if I'd call it a rivalry. We just hate them. You know, like okay. we just hate them. You know, it's just one of those things like it, it, it always makes me sick. And I, I know the Lakers don't like the Knicks or sorry, the Knicks don't like the Lakers either. It's like, it always feels like the rich get richer, you know, it's just one thing after another, you know, great team after great team. And it just gets old. It gets annoying. And you're right, especially at the expense of the magic, you know, losing Shaq and losing Dwight and then losing to them in the finals before, before Dwight went over there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's one of those things. I, I don't know if I call it a rivalry again, because it's so one-sided, but we just hate them. Like we just hate them. And it's always fun to beat them. And whenever we get the chance to do that, which we've done pretty well against them at home over the last several seasons. But uh, yeah, it kind of is what it is. So I don't know if I call it a rivalry. We just don't like them. You know, it's one of those that, things. I guess there would need to be something reciprocated from the right. Lakers for it to be a rivalry. But yeah. as far as, you know, teams that you despise. Yeah. The Lakers are, are toward the top of that yeah. list. Um, the last question I have, because I know this is very magic specific. I think I'm going to ask this every single time I have someone different that is a magic fan on this podcast. You, If they could retire one number tomorrow, who would it be? Uh, who who would good. your first choice be to be the first player to get their number retired by the magic? Yeah, it's not going to be a name that most national you know, folks or other, other team people, you know, think of for most match fans is actually a guy named Nick Anderson. I don't know if you remember Nick Anderson. Oh, of course I okay. remember okay, Nick okay, Anderson. Great. Nick yeah. Anderson, the team's first draft pick back in 1989, played for the team for 10 years, still leads in a bunch of, you know, statistical categories, you know, games played and those kinds of things. And is still with the team. He's been with the team, you know, ever since he, you know, retired from the NBA after being with Orlando, came mm. back to Orlando, has been with the team ever since in like a community ambassador role. He's at every game. He's walking around saying hi to everybody. I mean, he is, he is Mr. Orlando Magic for Magic fans. And so he doesn't have all the, the eye-popping stats and all-star appearances of a Shaq, a Dwight, a Penny, T-Mac, whoever. But for most Magic fans, if that ever happens, he should be first. Now, the front office, or not, not the front office, sorry, the ownership has come out and said, we're not retiring any jerseys until we win a title. And whoever you know leads us to that, they'll get their jersey retired, all this kind of stuff. We have a Hall of Fame, blah, blah, blah. So I don't know if it'll ever happen, but if it does, it should be Nick Anderson first, foremost, without any question in most Magic fans, my true Magic fans, they would say Nick Anderson. That's that's my pick. You know, that makes me that makes me happy. We were, we were talking last night on our on our postgame show about like great big threes in, in NBA history. And like we went to, to Shaq, Penny and Nick Anderson. And I was like, that was really a big two. But like when Horace Grant went there, he kind of became the big three. There were certain nights where Dennis Scott was the third best player uh, on that team. But that was really like Shaq, Penny and a third. Yeah. And, you know, Nick Anderson, I think, kind of gets lost to time nationally because of the free throws in in the 95 finals. Yeah. And it makes me happy that all these years later, the way he's remembered in Orlando is not his lowest career moment, but 
you know, as an ambassador for a franchise and a fan base that seems to love him and want his number to get retired above all these other Hall of Famers, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and the thing with those free throws, like, obviously, he's got to make those. But <laughs> the, the thing with that is that that wasn't like a game seven, you know, series on the line. You know, that was so early. I still think Houston would have won the series. Like, it just mm-hmm. is what it is. So most Magic fans have moved on from that. Yeah, we still get the little, you know, jabs in every once in a while. But all in all, you can't take two free throws versus a decade of a career of playing. And then now we're looking at almost 20 years of him being around the organization after, you know, his career. And so, yeah, you, you got to take the almost 30 years of the good versus the two free throws of the bad. And so we haven't had a lot of guys, Andrew, that have stuck with this franchise through a lot. That's part of why we love Vooch because he was an all-star and just stuck through it all. And Nick Anderson was one of those guys. Again, he's been around this franchise. He loves his, the community. And so for those reasons, he is like Mr. Orlando magic to most of us. And so I, I would pick him first. Well, that's a very rational, very uh, reasonable way to, to look at it. And uh, I don't think Knicks fans are very rational, reasonable. So I, I, I think that the New Yorker in us, unfortunately, comes out or we want to uh, fire everybody into the sun. Uh, so this, it's a very, very heartwarming perspective, at least from my my standpoint. Um, yeah. So uh, anyway, Kevin, this has been great. Thank you for joining me for a pretty lengthy edition of the decay of, of the Knicks film school pregame show. Before you get out of here, plug what you'd like to plug to our audience. Yeah, absolutely. If you want to find uh, more Orlando magic content, you can follow us at six man show on all social platforms. We also, you know, post all our episodes to YouTube and stuff. So if you want to come watch us react to, uh, to this game on Friday, you can join us there. We also do a, a post game show like you guys, which is our first year doing this live post game show. We've started this year. I actually host that. Um, so we'll be, doing that obviously after Friday's game so after you watch Nick's Film School uh, their post game <laughs> show why don't you come over and hang out with us on, on YouTube you know later but anyway yeah six man show everywhere and big shout out to you Andrew and the whole you know Nick's Film School crew you guys play like a different sport than us like the big markets <laughs> the little markets you guys are crazy like the output you do and like the numbers you get are crazy but you're always so gracious with your time like we've picked your brain on several occasions over the last year or two as we kind of start our rise to essentially you know in the league our show has kind of kind of gone alongside with the team which is fun uh, but you've always been gracious with your time and your insight you know in, in helping us out so definitely appreciate you and thanks for having me on of course happy to have you on happy to help out in any way i could and i gotta be honest watching the magic go on their run uh earlier this year when they built the the 14 and 5 record during that winning streak there was a part of me that was happy it was happening because i knew it meant your show was probably doing well yeah covering a team that was worthy of the quality that i believe your show is so um hopefully it continues just not on friday Friday. yeah i get it there you go kevin thank you for joining me thanks andrew Once again, a big thank you to Kevin for coming on today's show and helping me preview this matchup on Friday against the Orlando Magic. I will just say their show is outstanding. I I love how well produced it is. Kevin obviously has a lot to do with that. The link to their YouTube channel, to their podcast feeds are all in the description of this episode. The KFS bump, head on over there. Let them know that you loved Kevin on the on the Knicks Film School podcast. I greatly appreciate it. I know they would too. As far as I'm concerned, you know what to do. If you have a five-star rating and a review, I'll be back on Saturday morning with the one and only Caitlin Cooper previewing the Knicks matchup against the Pacers. But until then, thank you for listening. Enjoy the game tonight. Let's go Knicks! And I'll speak to you soon. Peace! Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? 
what do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.